Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 59, Producer Spotlight, Dustin Blankenship. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Hey, how's it going, man? Good morning. Good morning, man. How are you doing? All doing very well. Just uh, hanging out here in the office and uh, looking forward to getting to talk to you. So Long-time wh- listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> where uh, Where is your office exactly? Uh, so we're based out in northeast Texas uh, in a little town called Mount Vernon. We're about an hour and a half outside of Dallas and about an hour from Texarkana right off of I-30. So a uh, little bitty town out here in the, in the middle of the nowhere. So... That's where we're at, and we got a little office set up in a in a shop building that uh, we work out of. Me and a couple of my guys. That's awesome, man. So tell me a little bit about like what you do today, and then how you got started into video. Because we met through our my friend Jared Eversole, and who's a friend of yours. You work with Jared. We'll touch on that today. Um, Jared and and I have known each other for a while, and we got for to together for dinner. I don't know, it was, what is it, like two weeks ago, something like that? And uh, you, I think it was right at two weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, and, and you were in town with him. Y'all were doing a shoot for um, a fishing show. And we've chatted online before, but we had never met in person. We finally got to meet in person, kind of hang out. So I want to know a little bit more about you. I want to know your background. Like, how'd you get started in video, and what is it that you do today? Oh, well, which which part do we want to start with, <laughs> what we're doing now or how we got started? Let, let's, talk, are, let's talk about how you got into video. so originally i actually got into photography uh whenever i was a teenager i actually was not raised in hunting as very much at all i was always raised outdoors but uh really did not do much hunting until i was a you know late teens early adult so whenever i was a teenager i grew up uh you know skateboarding wakeboarding and stuff like that with uh, a bunch of my buddies and uh originally i actually <laughs> this is how backwards it even is even more i actually started with editing photos before i ever even got into photography and the way that i got into that is uh whenever i was a young teenager my grandmother passed away and we were making a slideshow for her funeral and some way or another we wound up with a uh a gray market copy of Adobe Photoshop CS6. And we were editing the photos to make a slideshow for, uh, for her funeral. And through that process, you know, we were looking up how to restore old photos, how to correct uh, scratches and whatnot like that, and then kind of putting the slideshow process together itself. And uh, after all that, that kind of kicked off editing with photos and stuff and then after playing with editing for a while i kind of a light bulb went off it's like you know what if this picture wasn't bad to begin with i wouldn't have to edit it and so after that i started taking the pictures to uh to begin with to kind of expedite the the editing process so (laughs) through uh through that, uh, you know, once I got a camera, I think I started off with oh, a, a Kodak 
eight megapixel uh, point and shoot uh, some some little camera like that. I don't remember the exact model, but once I started with that, I started you know taking pictures of skateboarding myself, me and my buddies, and uh, and stuff like that. And then over the years, I really developed more in in photography, uh, doing you know family sessions, portrait work, and and stuff like that, and really worked my way up through that. And uh, I think my first quote unquote real camera was a Nikon Coolpix eighty seven hundred. It was uh, still an all in one camera. It uh, had no no SLR interchangeable lenses or anything like that. So started working my way up with that, and uh, it had a burst mode. I believe it was called Golf Shot, and I think you could shoot somewhere around oh, it was probably around a hundred frames per second or something like that. And uh, so that was just absolutely fascinating, getting to see slow motion of yourself for the first time or the individuals that you're you're shooting and so that uh opened up a whole new world of of things and then throughout the years uh you know again I started you know I started playing with video a little bit it would shoot like I said it would shoot in burst mode for like two or three seconds so got a lot of short clips of that and then I started carrying a little camcorder around and you know, back in the day, uh, growing up on skateboarding, you know, you've got your camcorder and you've got your fisheye attachment for your uh, close-up shots and running with the skateboard and whatnot. So, started doing that, dabbling in video a little bit, making little two or three-minute videos of uh, skateboarding and stuff. And uh, I had some buddies that were into wakeboarding, so started shooting a little bit of that. They were actually they were actually pretty good. Uh, so that was, uh, it was interesting to, to go with somebody that actually had some real talent to try and try and capture that. And, uh, yeah, so that was my introduction to, uh, photo and video started off with that. And then as, uh, I think I would probably been around 19 or 20, I went, uh, on my first, you know, official hunting trip, uh, and so we're out here in Texas, so uh, predator hunting and night hunting and stuff is a big, big thing out here. And uh, so some of my buddies took me out and did a uh, predator hunt, and we called in a uh, bobcat at night to about 100 yards, and uh, I was able to take that. So after that, I was, I was pretty hooked on the hunting stuff. And with the background of photo and video, uh, things kind of just took off from there, and uh, that kind of brings us, introduces us to the hunting, hunting portion of the story. <laughs> okay, so so keep going, man. So now, now today, you guys, you do primarily hunting stuff, right? Yeah, ninety nine percent of everything that we do is hunting based. Sure, um, we've got. Uh, a couple of TV shows that we've worked with off and on throughout the years, and then I have one long-running show that I've I've been with from the beginning, and a new new series that we're working with now is uh, kind of more of a film film-based uh, type thing. Not really your traditional TV show. We're really going more of the the movie aspect uh, film uh, type concept for that. So. Um 
You and and I think when we met uh, in person a couple of weeks ago, you were telling me a little bit about you have some guys filming in some other countries and stuff. So you you contract out a lot of guys and take on a lot of uh, projects outside of just shows. Or like, tell me about that a little bit. Uh, so for many many years, I was a one man band, um, doing everything, shoot, edit, start to finish. Uh, and I was a one man band for a really really long time, and then about. Four years ago or whatever, I think it was around four years ago, I uh, got to the point of needing needing to bring on some more guys. And so one of the uh, people that originally uh, I did some work for uh, in the industry, it was actually his nephew. He was about oh, 18 years old, fresh out of college or whatever, and or fresh out of high school actually, and he wanted to... Uh, you know, he thought it was fun and wanted to learn learn the industry. So I, uh, you know, brought him on and uh, taught him taught him the ropes for a little bit. And so uh, he's been with me for about four years now. And uh, so he's uh, I've got to do quite a bit of stuff with him, and uh, you know, really divide and conquer. I'm always still shooting somewhere myself uh, as well, but. Uh, we got enough enough opportunities that we were able to to divide and conquer and uh, you know do uh, some adventures like that. So, with the shows that you work with today, are you primarily doing the night hunting still, or are you doing a, a, a more variety, or is night hunting kind of like your main thing? So, the longest running show that I have been working with, uh, we're going into our 11th season right now, and it is a, a predator-based show. And so, uh, being from Texas again, you know, the, the bread and butter for that is going to be um, coyotes, bobcats, and fox. But we go outside of the box a little bit more beyond that. Uh, you know, we go to California, we've done mako sharks with a bow, we have went to Florida, and North Carolina for alligators. Uh, we go to Canada for black bear. Um, we went to Africa here recently uh, and done caracal and jackal and stuff like that. A bunch of hogs and stuff. So a lot of that is geared around more of the night hunting um, concept. And so that's uh, that's a whole different monster in itself whenever it comes to... <laughs> comes to filming so it's hard enough to film whenever you have a uh, enough light but then you take all the lights away and that really really makes things interesting yeah you know some of the first <clears throat> some of the first um hunts i ever filmed were self-filmed and it was i was interning for texas parks of my life and i bought like a handy cam and was teaching myself video and i was allowed to hunt the public land that I worked on, I was allowed to hunt it at night. The, the general public can't do that, but as an employee of the state, I was allowed to. So I would set up, um, <laughs> I would set up different tree stands or ground blinds, and I'd hunt pigs at night with this bow light I built um, myself, and I would film it all at night. And it would be like ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock at night, and pigs come screaming, and I'm filming, and <laughs> you can't see anything until the bow light was on. So all you can do is hear hear them, you know. And and then when you could see them back then, the handy cam I was using was so bad in low light; it's just all blotchy, and but it, but it worked, you know. And I used the nocturnal knocks and would shoot the shoot the pigs in uh, self-filament and you could see the nocturnal knock you know smack the pig in the middle of the night and it was cool but that was kind of how i got started into filming filming hunts and 
Um, it is a whole nother animal um, doing it like that. And I've done some professional filming at night with pig hunts, and it's very difficult, man. Um, like you said, it's a whole nother monster. Yeah, for sure. And we have, you know, very dedicated setups specifically for for doing this stuff now because it's, you know, it's our bread and butter. We we take a lot of pride in in what we're doing and the, the quality of stuff that we put out. So we've got pretty unique rigs built up now to uh to get us enough light to get the get the footage that we need but it it definitely did not start out this way <laughs> we definitely were filming with the uh the old halogen spotlights and uh you know the person running the light was not in sync with the person running the camera and so right. everything goes pitch black <laughs> it's chaotic there's a big a big jerk in movement to try and get back in line <laughs> so uh it was a lot of fun. Definitely, definitely went through some challenging situations to uh, to build up a good a good repertoire of experience uh, over the years. Sure, yeah. So, tell me about your night your night rig. Like, what do you run for for being able to film at night? Are you focusing on like crazy low light cameras, or are you focusing more on cameras that have infrared? Uh, we do. So for hog hunting and stuff like that, we're shooting with thermal on the, uh, the optics. And so for that type of stuff, it is truly blacked out. And so we'll have a infrared camera that, uh, we're filming with, you know, the walking, the setting up and everything like that. And then we will splice that together with the thermal scopes that are mounted on uh, the weapons. And then also be running a handheld thermal uh, as well for that so that's the only time that we truly go completely blacked out whenever we're doing everything under the predators that is under a white light and uh, we have a, a rig built out that the camera mounts on top to that has uh, essentially four uh, white halogen lights that uh, is uh, like I said it's mounted to the camera and so the lights follow the camera. We're in control of where the light goes and when, and that really, really makes the process a little bit easier and keeping everything in sync. And you know, working with the guys that we work with, like I said, we're going into our eleventh season, and he's been doing it before I even got involved. And so we uh, we're quite quite in sync at this point. Uh, <laughs> we work together pretty well. Yeah, you know, um, back when I used to do outdoor TV. I, I remember we always had this thing that we would we would chat about, which was um, when you when you freelance for a show that you know or a bunch of different shows and you don't work with them a whole lot. Sometimes it's really hard to get in sync. But if you work with a show like whether you're full time or you're or you contract with that show and and you do like season after season with them, what you you start to become in sync with that with that show and the different hosts that are involved. And I feel like at, at, at that point, you kind of become a well-oiled machine. And I feel like for the hunting industry, for hunting, filming, that's a big deal because, you know, it, where they go and where you go, you need to be in sync the whole entire time. If, if they shoot and, and you're not ready, you know, because you're not in sync, that could be a disaster. And there's so many different things that come get involved in that. And I just feel like there's something to be said about working with someone for a long period of time and building up that, that well-oiled machine and being able to know, um, you know, when they're going to take their next step. So you take yours too, you know, type of thing. And I, I feel like there's something to be said about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it comes back to the, the old relationship of, did you say go or did you say no? 
Yeah. No, I said no. No go, go. <laughs> you know, if uh, you know, in in the hunting industry, the the kill shot is, is everything. So if you if you miss that, uh, it's it's uh, pretty complicated. Things have changed nowadays. It's not not quite so critical on the the kill shot as it used to be. But there for many many years, uh, you know, what's the what's the line? I believe from Jim Shockey, uh, one great kill shot. I think is is what it used to be back in the day for uh, for the professionals. So yeah, there was a a lot riding on the line that builds up to a real critical moment, and you better make for sure that you have everything 100 percent clear in communication and yeah. that brings us into audio <laughs> yeah it does man i and before we <laughs> go into that aspect i know uh, i i film a lot for hunting outfits today that's kind of for my outdoor stuff that's primarily what i do and i love doing mm-hmm. it but the challenge about filming for hunting outfits usually what i'm doing is i'm, I'm approaching it from the marketing side and we're scripting out a a a video project for them and I'm coming in and shooting all the content. But if you're filming, a lot of times I need to get, I need to get kill shots or at least hunting shots. And when you're in a blind with someone or even worse, like when I go to Alaska with my client in Alaska, we're spot and stock bear hunting and the clients have never been on camera before. So we're definitely not in sync. And I'll tell them Mm -hmm. like, Hey, don't shoot unless I'm rolling, unless I give you the thumbs up. And they, ne- they, they never they never remember that. In the heat of the moment, I'm just sitting there and I'm like making sure everything's in focus and boom, you know, and I about jump out my drawers because I'm not prepared for it, you know. <laughs> and uh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's crazy, yeah. So I don't know. It, it's tough. I just feel like when you're in sync with someone, it just makes a huge difference. But, but yeah, so tell me about the audio. So what's your audio setup look like? How many guys are you filming at night usually or, or even not even just at night but on these predator hunts? Is it just one person? Is it multiple people? And, and how do you you might call that uh usually it's always going to be at least two people we'll have the co-host or uh, we'll have our host and then we're usually hunting with a guest uh either on their ranch or location or we'll have somebody with us so it's always a minimum of at least two people and uh sometimes there's more so that's whenever it gets real interesting but i've been fortunate enough i've had uh a good foundation of audio from the beginning and was taught the importance of audio. So we run, uh, I've ran Sennheiser's my entire career. And so the, I think it's the EW threes or onto the EW fours now, whatever the Sennheiser model was. So a pretty, pretty good level of, of audio straight out of the gate. So I've been, been fortunate for that, but yeah, the, double lob set up and uh, with the new cameras now you know you've got uh four channels of audio and whatnot so you can really really break things out uh, beyond that but back in the day if you had more than if you had more than two people you were uh, going with uh one lob and a shotgun and hope <laughs> you're pointing at the right person whenever yeah. they decide to talk <laughs> if yeah not, you get to do a lot of subtitles the uh, four channels of audio, back when I bought my FS7, that was like one of the main reasons I bought it because I was doing so much hunting content at the time and four channels of audio is dude, that's game changing. You can mic up four people or you can do three people in a gun mic. Dude, that's mm-hmm. even, I would even like filming whitetail hunts, I would even take uh, a lav mic and run two receivers so i would have like one set at a higher decibel level than the other so i could get the whispering really good but then if he freaked out and got all excited i'd have a lower track for that and it wouldn't blow um plus the shotgun so there's three channels just right there so like i feel like the multiple channel thing on the cameras like you mentioned is like super useful today 
Yeah, absolutely. It's been very, very uh, helpful in the audio world. You know, basically exactly what you said. Now, now, well, I guess, were you running two mics at the time or just double inputs? Uh, for, for what? For the whitetail thing I was talking about? Yeah, the setting at the two different So I, it was one mic, but two receivers set to the same channel. So I, I you can do right, that. So right, you'd have like, yeah. yeah, you'd be receiving the same channel on both. Mm-hmm. And then I would just set the levels lower on the second the second receiver. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Definitely makes things way more way more easy whenever you get to get to the editing side of things for sure. The audio <clears throat> is critical as as we all know or should know. So tell me, so um, we met through well. Yeah, I, I was trying to say, so we, we met online, but I think it was originally still through Jared. Um, tell me about, I think it probably was. Yeah, I think that's how I, how I found out about you. So tell me a little bit about like your relationship with Jared and and uh, kind of what y'all do together on the fishing side of stuff. Um, and for those of y'all listening who don't know, uh, Jared Eversole's a, a friend of mine. He's also uh, a friend um, with Dustin and uh, Jared has been on the podcast before. I don't remember what episode, but you can do a little Google search and find it. Uh, but Jared owns Deep Fork Productions out of Oklahoma, not too terribly far from you. Yeah, he's only a couple hours away from me. Yeah, I think originally I met Jared. It was one of his many ads that he put out on Facebook looking for shooters <laughs> for the uh, for the Redfish series. Yeah, so. that's how I that's how I met Jared too. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think he's made a few connections through that through that world. But yeah, I uh, responded to one of those ads, of course, and so got uh, got to do a little bit of red fishing for the series that he was working on at the time. So we really. Uh, really got to know each other going over the the shoots and stuff like that and so we've worked together quite a bit for the past probably about three three or so years now we've uh we've known each other and we've helped each other out on uh, a variety of different projects um you know whenever each person has something come up we usually usually give each other a call and try and help each other out on that so we've Worked on a couple of red fishing series together. We had another another hunting show that we worked on together, and uh, now we've uh, we've moved on to some bass fishing, and so we help him out quite a bit on some of the some of the shoots for that stuff. A lot of it's in our our neck of the woods, and so it's pretty convenient for us to to jump on board and help him out with some of that stuff. Yeah, so you were in Toledo this last weekend, Toledo Bend, and that's. Knowing kind of where Toledo is, that couldn't have been too terribly far of a drive for you. Yeah, it was only about three hours for us. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's not bad at all. Um, mm-hmm. So when you do the fishing stuff, do you use the same type of equipment or, or do you switch over and use something completely different? Uh, well, the camera of choice for that nowadays is obviously an FX6, which are still very, very challenging to find. <laughs> And uh, they're even they're even challenging to rent at certain times. So yeah, the primary crazy. camera of choice, if we had that, would be the FX6, uh, particularly now with the firmware updates and everything that they've come out with it. I mean, it it honestly cannot get much better. I mean, it is the the picture perfect camera for for pretty much everything. I mean, we're switching into a Sony commercial here at the at the moment, but <laughs> the the form factor of the Codex, I mean, it's and the pre-record, it's it's a dream. I mean, you really cannot ask for 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 much more. I mean, I I, I don't know what else you really need to film pretty much anything. 
but particularly with hunting, the pre-record or uh, fishing, the pre-record comes in very, very handy, you know, because obviously you, uh, you know, you have slow days, things uh, get rough, and so, you know, you take a little bit of a break, so you're not shooting six hours worth of footage, <clears throat> you know, so. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one <laughs> of those. pre-record. It's one of those things like a lot of people sometimes say, why Why do you own, I have guys message me all the time, like why own an FX6 when you can get the same image of the A7S III for half the price and a lot smaller camera and it also shoots photos. But they're not the same thing. Beyond just the mm-hmm. NDs and the, and the audio inputs and all that, you have things like, like what you're talking about. So for those of y'all who don't know what this is, it's called cache recording. If you go inside the menus and you you select cache recording, and it's a new it's a newer feature for the FX6 that came out in a firmware update uh, several months ago. But it allows you to get basically the camera's always recording nonstop, even when you're not recording, so that when you do hit record, it will save like the first however many seconds, depending on what frame rate and resolution you're in. It'll save that first bit of time so that <clears throat> if you're like fishing if you're filming fishing for instance and you can't record the entire day but you don't want to miss the hook set you could be having your camera pointed at a guy and have cash recording on and it's always kind of micro recording and as soon as that guy does the hook set you can hit record and it will save the first say eight seconds for example uh, ahead of that so you don't miss the hook set but you're also not having to roll the entire time it's amazing and so when people come to me and they're like man the you know why get a why get a mirror why get a cinema camera when you can get a, a mirrorless camera at half the price? It's stuff like that to me that makes such a big difference. I mean that's a huge thing to have. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's great. I think you have uh, they call it long, medium, and short options, and I think the interval is five, ten, and it can go all the way up to thirty <clears throat> seconds in four K sixty, which is unbelievable i don't know why they don't have this technology in pretty much all the cameras because if you think about it the camera when you have it turned on is always generating the image and so basically what is the technology difference that you just have to tell it at this point is where you start saving it so it's uh i don't know why they don't have that in more cameras because i agree it's a game changer for for everything to do in the outdoor industry, I, it's it's useful for just about everything, and the form factor of it, you know, lightweight, shoulder mountable. You get the viewfinder up in front of you, easy to maneuver, handle around, and uh, just pretty much picture perfect. Wish I had a dozen of them. <laughs> yeah, my only my only thing I don't like about the FX6 is I wish it did super 35 4k the way the fx9 does i love the ability like on my a1 to jump into super 35 mode and turn my 100 into 400 into like a 150 to 600 you know and still be in 4k i wish it i wish it could do that but you can't have everything there's no such thing as a perfect camera (laughs) yeah absolutely that would be very convenient but you know going into that the the a7s line and really all that was kind of uh reverse in technology you know they they went the opposite direction of where everything had been going you know because you know when we came out with the a7rs and all that type of stuff like it was it was megapixels for days and then whenever they come in with the original a7s you know we're looking back at at 12 megapixels and that has essentially stayed the same through all the generations of those cameras right now so it's really 
really a, a reverse of technology, but uh, the video the video features of it that the, the low light has just been absolute game changer. Specifically for you know the industry that I'm in as well, with it being the night hunting and stuff, it, yeah. it really really opens up the opportunities for the real creative shots and to show to show the things that you would not normally get to see. You know, you you show the actual hunting process, the the grind of what it takes to actually hunt at night, and so it really opens up the the opportunities to really tell that story in a, a way that you weren't able to do to before so it's been been a whole lot of fun made a lot of cool images out of this thing so on the topic of the a7s series um you recently were forced to run an fx3 for a fishing <laughs> show shoot because you like you said y'all weren't able to rent another fx6 at the time and exactly. I, I picked up an FX3 at Texas Media Systems a few months ago, and I remember taking some pictures and sending it to my friend, and I was like, dude, this is the dumbest like camera I've ever seen. I hated it because the <laughs> the ergonomics are freaking terrible. Like The joystick is on top of the camera to where you can't really reach it with your thumb or your index finger. It's like makes absolutely zero sense. They took away the viewfinders, so you can't use that anymore. I don't know. Like, tell me about your experience running the FX3. Man, my initial impressions of it were very, very similar. I did not enjoy it whatsoever out of the gate. The ergonomics of it were not good, exactly like you said button position the viewfinder just everything about it i did not like um really for for this type of work really the difference came down to a fan and that's in my opinion that is going to be the biggest difference between the fx3 and an a7s3 for this type of work now i've ran my a7s3 in africa many times for long periods of time i've never had an overheating issue but just again the the, the peace, peace of mind, of mind yeah. knowing that you do have that internal fan and uh that's really really the game changer in it and i ran it, i actually wound up running it for two shoots by the end of it you know if you had to get used to it you could you could deal with it but coming from an s3 and going to it it was it was not enjoyable, not at all. But I've been I've been partial to the the A7 mirrorless line for for many many years, and so up until up until the FX6, I strictly ran the the A7 line once they uh, once they were announced essentially. So I've really enjoyed the form factor of uh, of that for a long time. Yeah, and it's gotten better too because when they first came out, I had an A7S. I got it like right when it was released in the US, and the grip was really thin back then, and the battery oh, yeah. life sucked. And <laughs> they use those older, smaller batteries, and there were just some yep. issues with it. And the autofocus was horrible, <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, it's just amazing how how different it is now. The grip's much deeper, the body's much better, the overheating's not as much of an issue. The you know the uh, battery life is amazing. It's just they've changed a lot over the last over the last several generations. They're really great cameras today. Yeah, absolutely. 
the crazy thing is, is where do we go from here? You well, know, where you growing up, <laughs> where you go from here is the A one, and I'm telling you, don't get your hands on one because you will, you will drop sixty five hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, I've managed to avoid that so far. I am, uh, I'm very inclined to agree. I think that's that's pretty much the picture perfect meld of both worlds, photo and video. Yeah, dude, I like mine so much that I have a job that I, I put a bid on and if I get it, I'm selling my S3 and I'm picking up a second A1. It is, wow. I freaking wow. love it, man. It is the greatest camera ever. And I, I just I just can't say enough about it. I, will, I have a whole podcast on it, so I'm not gonna re-go down that road, but it's just amazing, <laughs> let's just put it that way. So, yep, yep. so tell me a little bit about uh, about some of the other projects you work on. We talked a little bit about the predator stuff. We talked a little bit about fishing stuff. But what are some other like hunting shows or hunting stuff that you guys do? Uh, I've worked, you know, I worked primarily in the big game international type world from the beginning. Uh, Originally, whenever I started out, uh, some guys that I had started working with that taught me a bunch of stuff had ties to uh, Jim Shockey's The Professionals back in the day. And so I was cutting my teeth on the, the international stuff really early on. And uh, again, you know, not growing up in, in hunting uh, personally, you know, the, the whitetails, the, you know, the, the U.S.-based stuff is really not... I don't quite have the obsession with that that uh, that most people raised raised hunting would have, and so I've really got a a love for the the international uh, big game type stuff. You know, I've been to Africa many many times over the years. Africa was the first. Well, I guess now nah, technically Canada was my first first trip out of the country, uh, but I went to I went to Africa pretty early on in my year career. So that's been been had a really special place for me uh, with uh, the international stuff and so I've worked uh, with a couple of TV shows off and on throughout the the years but it's all real kind of been more on the big game aspect of of stuff um, a lot of international stuff and I've done you know I've done a handful of the the whitetails and turkeys and the more more traditional U.S. based stuff, but really the majority of things that I've been been fortunate enough to do has been international as things. So, didn't uh, definitely did not see this this coming whenever I uh, I started in the industry to to get to see the world like I have. But I've been been very fortunate to travel around and see see the things that I've seen and have the opportunities that I've had. But yeah, the uh, I've done did a lot of TV work for the vast majority of the career so everything was uh episode based uh you know 13 episodes in a season and uh we did a series for a little while that produced 26 original episodes a year and so that was uh that was that was blowing and going pretty hard there for there for a couple of I mean seasons. that's an but average that's literally an average of like an episode every 2 weeks <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah That's it intense. was uh like i said we were staying we were staying pretty busy it was a uh a co-hosted show so there were there were two hosts for it and so that made it a little bit easier it was essentially one host shot 13 episodes and then the other host shot 13 sense. more so they were able to divide and conquer 
uh, a little bit and do some, you know, do some double shoots and simultaneous hunts and stuff like that. So that helped things out a lot a bit, a lot. But yeah, doing doing 26 shows in a year, that's a, that's a monster. I think there was, oh, I think there was a, a time that we did, let's see, yeah, 26, 30, 39 39 original shows in a year jeez that's um, a lot film and film and edit start to finish delivery so it was uh it was some busy times dude so i have this uh friend of mine he's a a production assistant that does a lot of pa stuff for me uh, his name's mm-hmm. joey chapman so joey if you're listening to this podcast what's up dude um Joey's gonna laugh because I'm gonna I'm gonna bring him up on this, but I was chatting with him uh, like a couple days ago. Joey doesn't have um, the outdoor filming background that we have, and uh, sure. Joey was really uh, shocked when I told him that back when I did outdoor TV, we would I would work essentially by myself to direct and script write and film an entire show, twenty one and a half minute show, and then. I even back then I was also editing it and I did 13, you know, 13 episodes a year for, for, for one show. And then we did like 20 for another. And he just, uh, for him, cause he doesn't come from the outdoor world. It was hard for him to wrap his head around doing a whole entire show where you do your own audio, your own lighting, your own filming, your own directing. Cause you do everything. And he's like, dude, how do you, how do you do that? It just kind of blew his mind a little bit. And I think that's really funny because I think for people who don't, who don't come from the outdoor industry or who have never done it. Um, they don't understand like how many different hats you have to wear. We don't have a lighting guy with you. You don't have a, uh, a grip truck. You don't have, um, you don't have a director calling all the shots. I mean, that's you, you know, you don't have a bunch of camera ops. You don't have someone to run and get you coffee. You don't have a sound engineer. You don't have any of that stuff. I mean, you are doing absolutely everything. Most of the time, you might be lucky to have an extra person with you, but most of the time you're usually by yourself. And uh, so talk to me about that. Like, like, what do you think about that? Do you think that, uh, do you think that it's kind of, it would be an eye opener for someone to come and experience what it is that you do, especially like with some of the night stuff to have to, to learn how to be able to do all of that and get all the content you need for a show? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the hunting industry specifically is the, the ultimate definition of a one man band. Hundred you know, percent. You go down the list of, of everything that you've said, and you've you've got to know it all. And uh, you know, again, starting out starting out back in the day, uh, it was it was a lot simpler than it even is now. You know, back in the day, you had a main camera and maybe a GoPro. Now, on average, going into a shoot, I mean, there's there's six to nine different cameras. <laughs> you know, you have multiple GoPros, you have the drone now, you've got your time-lapse camera, you've got your photo camera, you've got just multiple main cameras, you know, for a, for a mountain hunt, you have your, uh, your A camera, which is your, essentially your cutaway camera that is pulling audio and filming the walking and so on and so forth. And then you've got your B camera, which is going to be a, a telephoto camera. And you got to pack all is, that crap you know, up and down a mountain. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And again, the vast majority of the time by yourself. Not and, for the uh, faint so of heart. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very different, different world. 
And, you know, going, going on the flip side of the industry, like, it would be so nice to just have to worry about one thing. Like, if you just had to worry about audio and that was the only thing you have to worry about, like, life would be so simple. <laughs> or if, like, you, you have to. Or, like, my dream, because, dude, I love filming the wildlife. And I feel like, I, like that mm-hmm. was one thing I was always, like, really good at was filming the wildlife aspect and getting the kill shots. Mm-hmm. And I, I would love it if, like, that was my job. I'll let like someone oh, else yeah. can handle yeah. like getting the show hosts and filming the action, all that. I'm just, just let me, let me have the long glass and let me just focus <laughs> on getting, getting the shots of the animals, getting the kill shot, all that. If that was my job, dude, I, I would literally, I would still be in the hunting industry and that's all I would do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we've, we've actually been fortunate enough to be <laughs> able to do quite a bit of double shooting uh, with the projects that we've done here in the past couple that's of years. That's super that, helpful. Oh, it's it's unbelievable, man! It, it <laughs> you almost have to slap yourself every once in a while. I was like, "Wow, is this is this actually the way that I get to do things now?" <laughs> and you kind of have to unlearn unlearn the process because right. you're like, "Okay, I need to get this. I need to get. Oh wait, no, my job is just to film the animal. He's got my the job other. is just to film the animal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so it uh it definitely you definitely have to rework your brain and uh, think about things a little bit differently because you're so ingrained in having to get absolutely everything by yourself. Because if you don't get it, then it's it's a bad deal for everyone. You know, it's uh, you don't have what you need to put together the story. You know, the hosts upset, outfitters upset, and uh, it really really is critical. There's a lot of lot of pressure. A lot of pressure that goes on on everyone that uh, that does this type of stuff, and particularly even more in the the international and big games type stuff. You know, you know, I, it kind of relates to whitetail. You know, if you have you have a deer that you've been hunting for years, and you know he's 180 inch buck or something like that. You know, it's you know, if you miss miss the kill shot or miss something like that, it's pretty, pretty critical. But whenever you get into this international type stuff. There are there's some pretty big ticket animals, and yep. uh, you don't want to miss. <laughs> you don't want to miss that for sure. You yeah. definitely do not want to double tap record. Well, yeah, um, one thing that um, that does help with some, at least the international trips I've been on. The one benefit of the international trips I've learned is usually. And, and I guess it depends on what country or continent you're going to, but pretty much everywhere I went, they always had either Sherpas or if it's not Sherpas, something, someone kind of similar there to help pack and mm-hmm. carry stuff. And so I would, like when I was in Pakistan, I had someone carrying my long lens camera on a tripod for me the whole time. And that really helped because then I could focus on the, on the walking, the talking, getting all that content. But when I needed that big camera, like... I had that guy there with that for me. I've even had a guy carry my backpack a couple different times on international trips. And I think that you don't really see that much in the U.S. trips. You're kind of on your own. So the one nice thing, at least in my experience about international trips, is sometimes you do get a little bit of extra help from guys that are there to help with the the hunt. And they see you as part of the of the hunting, like part of the hunter's like uh, party. So they could kind of treat you like like part of, part of the hunter's party. And, and that's kind of nice. Yeah, absolutely. Specifically on the, you know, more mountain type game, you know, in those types of situations, you're typically going after one animal. You know, it's not a multi-species hunt or at least, at least you're not hunting multiple species in one day. No, it's usually some sort of a goat (laughs) or sheep (laughs) and Mm -hmm. you are putting a lot of miles under your feet trying to find it, find the right one. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So it definitely helps out big time, uh, you know, whenever you have that. And, you know, usually you have a, a good team of, of guys for those those type of hunts because it's, you know, a lot of a lot of climb and weight, a lot of climb and weight, glassing, mm-hmm. glassing. And so you can you can get away with having a few more people people with you for the initial ascent. And then once things get serious, then you pair down into a, you know, a two or three person person team. But fortunately at that point, usually you're not having to climb too much more no. up the, up the mountain. You're usually, usually in a pretty good range at that point. So yeah, but man, if you're, if you're in that. the States though, and you're doing like, you're doing like a, like a doll sheep hunt, dude, you're on your own. <laughs> it's it's, it's yep, brutal. There's yep, no one, there's absolutely. no one carrying your stuff. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. So unless, one, uh, unless you've got an appy <clears throat> in camp or something that's uh, trying to earn his stripes, you are on your own. Bringing in, bringing in <laughs> particularly turn. on that. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly on that again, just the, the supplies and stuff, you know, everything has to be flown into camp, yeah. your food, your lodging and all that type of stuff. So just to, physically feed another individual for that extended period amount of time is a is a substantial investment so you've got to uh you've got to be very resourceful whenever it comes to comes to the hunts like that yeah i've had some conversations with some friends of mine that have done outdoor tv for longer than even i have and and we were chatting and i told them that um i would probably not do another u.s u.s based sheep hunt again i think i'm kind of at (laughs) at my age and i'm not even old i'm 30 but at at this point Mm -hmm. i just don't have the desire to climb that far that high by myself with by myself as mean meaning me the only guy carrying all the camera equipment all that stuff dude it is (laughs) freaking brutal and i don't know at this point i just i think about that and i think about other stuff i could be doing (laughs) i just don't know that i want to do that anymore because it's hard man nobody if you've never done that that's really hard yeah, absolutely. And that's that's kind of the direction that I've I've gone over the past couple of years. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we've we've started having a family and stuff. So I've started, you know, subbing out and, and sending some more guys on, uh, on those type of hunts. You know, I've got another buddy that I sent to Pakistan to do a shoot for me and oh, I sent him to Mongolia and stuff like that. And so those uh those little bit bigger hunts i'll uh i'll let some of the younger guys uh <laughs> take on some of those i've i've put in i've put in the work for a couple of years and i'll still do some more i'll still do some more that's that's for sure but yeah you don't want to completely point, lose it yeah yeah for sure but at this at this particular point uh you know my wife and i were focused on focused on having a family and we'll i'll actually be having uh we'll be having a son next next month pretty much exactly about a month from right now that's awesome man congrats really excited about that yeah thank you thank you so much we're really excited so staying pretty close to home this year i think this will be the first time that i haven't went to africa in about six years uh so miss it a little bit but it's definitely definitely going to be worth it really excited for for the family to grow. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, you know, back to the one man band thing, you know, that kind of led us down this direction. I think that, um, and I was kind of telling Joey this, but I think that in the outdoor role, when you have to wear so many hats and you have to play sound guy and director and everything else all in one, I actually think that kind of in some ways can make you better in your career. Cause like, I don't, 
like today I don't do really outdoor TV as much anymore, but um, I do a lot of commercial work and a lot of uh, projects for universities, medical companies, and that kind of thing. And I feel like I have a better understanding for video as a whole than someone who's maybe only ever been a DP or someone who's only ever ran audio. Like I understand all the different aspects. I'm comfortable working by myself if needed because I spent half my freaking career doing that. Um, or if I do bring in guys like sound guys and stuff, like I know exactly what they're doing because I've had to do that myself for so long. So I can tell them, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Can you use this one type of mic or whatever? And so I'm better at like giving directions and like being in control simply because I feel like I've had to spend so much of my career working alone and doing all those aspects. So I think I think like one of the benefits of the outdoor industry is it does force you to learn so many different things. And I think in the long run, that's actually a, a great benefit. Yeah, absolutely for sure. You know, again, uh, you can you can do everything. You know, you can take on everything from start to finish, from like I said, lighting, audio, camera, script writing, production, edit, and delivery. So you you can come in and do everything versus the other side of the industry. You know, you're you're essentially an expert in this one specific thing, but you know, if uh, one thing goes wrong, you know, you can't necessarily pick up the slack in, a, in another area that uh, you know you could if you you were as well rounded uh, as you are with uh, with the outdoor industry and stuff. But uh, the only thing the outdoor industry is lacking a little bit is a bit of the artistic and creativity <laughs> that uh, the <laughs> other true. side of the industry has come on. So if yeah. we can if we can borrow a little bit of that, then. Uh, then we might we might can get somewhere. <laughs> I think budget's a, a part of that, you know, because when you're in the outdoor industry, there's so many shows now online and on TV, it's just, or even on streaming services, and and so everyone's competing, you know, for the same sponsors and sponsorship dollars per per sponsorship aren't what they used to be for the most part. And so budgets are kind of tight, you know, and it's hard sometimes to be as creative when you're having to work with a small crew and churning stuff around really fast. And you know what I mean? Mm. And it's just kind of a little bit more difficult. Whereas if you had a bigger budget and you had more time and could do more creative things, you could probably, we could probably do some really awesome stuff. That's a little different than what we've seen up to this point, I think. Um, But I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it all comes down to to time and budget. You know, you think about the amount of time that goes into an average project on the front end in anything else in the the whole other industry. You know, uh, if, if you're starting with a show from scratch, you know, a company comes in and they shoot a pilot. Okay, so you shoot the pilot and then you're pitching the pilot to the network and then say the network likes it and they buy it well then you go into essentially the pre-production for 13 episodes 10 episodes so on so forth uh however many you know the the time buy is for and you plan out what those stories are going to be because if you don't know what those stories are going to be how are you going to sell your product Mm -hmm. to a network you know, and so you have to have a, you know, a rough idea of what your story and concept is going to be. And then you just dial that in further and further from that point versus, you know, the hunting industry. Uh, basically, your, your usual stories are based off 
location and animal Mm -hmm. like going into it that's your that's your story (laughs) that's about all the time and research that you have to developing your your story that you're in and so you know the animal that you're hunting and you know the location that you're being well then you can build off of that a little bit okay what's the the history of the area what's the history of the species and stuff like that but as far as the extent of that that is about the only thing you have control over yeah outside of that it really comes down to the hunt itself and how that plans out and it's hunting i mean you have next to no control over anything with that um you know, if <laughs> you're, you're in a bear hunt, uh, you know, we, we go on a bear hunt in uh, uh, Canada. And so we set up, we're hunting over baits and whatnot. And so we have a, a small bear that comes in early on and eats all the bait and then leaves. Okay, well, what do we do now? We decide to ride it out for a little bit because, you know, it doesn't get dark until midnight whenever we're in Canada hunting there. So... We ride it out for a little bit, and then we see another bear that gets to come in. Well, this bear comes in, sees that there's no food left, and then immediately looks at us. So, what did you do with <laughs> my the, food? As the, as the food. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> potentially, potentially. <laughs> fortunately, fortunately we, we're still here, so it worked out very well. But, yeah, I mean, that, that situation and stuff, again, you... You know, you have no control over it. You know, you want, you know, in the perfect world, you want the big bear to come in and just slowly meander his way into the bait and stuff. And you're, you know, you're able to, oh man, I I can't figure out what he is just yet. He looks like a pretty good one. I need him to move over a little bit. And then, oh, oh man, he, he just walked out in the open. Like, this is the one that we've been after. This is a big mature bear and stuff. If we... If he works into range, we're gonna we're gonna try and take this bear, and then kind of building out the process of it like that. But you know, again, you don't you don't have any control over that, and uh, you know, there's there's many many times uh, you know you go into a turkey hunting situation, you have everything set up in the you know the first 180 degrees of the field, and then everything comes in behind you on the 180 degrees of the field when your back is to the wood line. And so you go from a nice morning sunrise on a field of blue bonnets to shooting into uh, the middle of the woods <laughs> in broken light. Mm-hmm. So it's it's real hard to, to plan much beyond that. And that's really what we've gotten into with the new series that we're working in uh, right now. We're really, really working on the, the pre-production part of the story and stuff and really going to extreme lengths to plan as many stories and research and stuff uh, that you can before you actually get there to where honestly the hunting kind of takes a back seat to the the messaging and the story of of what the film is about yeah that's awesome you know that makes me think of you, you were talking about jim shockey earlier but did you ever watch i think uncharted was only around for like two seasons but did you ever watch that show uncharted I did. Yep. I Man, did that sure. is was one of my favorite shows, and uh, it was mm-hmm. to my from my understanding, it was extremely expensive to make, which is why it didn't last longer than a couple seasons. But it mm. was pretty. It was pretty cool. It was really well done, and they kind of dramatized some things, like and 
like when they went to Pakistan, they hunted with Donny Shu, um, your guy was just with and who yep. I who I've yep. been with. And like they they definitely kind of made that a little bit dramatized and uncharted and may, tried to make it look a little mm. more dangerous and stuff than it was. So like there was some a little added drama here or there. But honestly, I didn't mind it because when you watch the show itself, it just felt so different than any other hunting show I've ever seen. It was so well done. Mm. For, it, it felt like you were walk, watching this like documentary that I don't know. It just it just felt real and raw. It's just different than anything else that's been out there. And I wish I wish more people would try to go down that route. But it's very expensive. They have multiple camera guys, and they shot on reds, and and uh, it just they were going to some crazy places and staying for very long periods of time. And you know, it's just it's a it's expensive. But it was really it was really well done. I wish I wish that show could have stuck stuck around. Yeah, it was definitely revolutionary for sure. Nobody, nobody has had done anything like that uh, at the time, and and still has not not replicated that to to that extent. But yeah, they really they really re- revolutionized uh, the concept of what a what an outdoor production uh, should be like and stuff, and really took uh took the extra time to to tell that story and i think i think they were probably the first hour long uh series at the time yeah i don't don't, that i don't know that either but they were definitely at least one of the only hour hour ones uh i actually think i have his uncharted season one dvd somewhere in my house i liked it but um I yeah. feel like it felt more like uh, it felt more like watching Deadliest Catch or something on Netflix than a typical mm-hmm. hunting show, you know. Um, so it was really yeah. cool. I wish I wish more shows would be able to do that, but again, it comes down to time and budget to be able to pull something like that off. Um, but yep, that was absolutely. pretty it was pretty cool. But dude, all right, man, I don't want to keep you any longer. I know that uh, you've got a busy schedule. Um, I really want to appre- uh, like I tell you that I appreciate you coming on the podcast and, and chatting me this morning. Um, I want to ask you one question before I let you go. Do you have any advice for anybody out there who's listening who's interested in doing video work in the outdoor industry? Ah, Putting you on the spot Going into things. (laughs) Well, going into things, the approach of going for it now versus how it was back in the day is, uh, it's, man, there's aspects of it that are easier and there are aspects of it that are a lot harder right now. But my biggest piece of advice is understand the technology. Understand how the camera works. Shutter speed, aperture, ISO, white balance, audio. Learn the technical side of stuff to where you know that with the back of your hand. And that can be done on YouTube now. I mean, you can, you can literally learn anything and everything on YouTube. But I have been extremely technical since the beginning of my career coming in with photography you know photography settings or everything and stuff and then melding that over into video but the technical side of stuff is one of the things that i value the most about it and i think once you understand the technical side of stuff then you can continue to grow into the art side of stuff so Whenever you learn the technical side of stuff, you know, you're shooting with a kit lens, you're shooting with a 3.5 to 5.6. And so after you learn the technical side of stuff, you're like, okay, I need a 50 millimeter 1.2 lens to be able to achieve this look. 
and kind of approaching that from the technical aspect of it and learning it's like, okay, this lens gives you this particular type of look. This piece of equipment allows you to achieve this look, being a slider, a Ronin, uh, such stuff like that. But really, the technical side of things is is what I think is important and uh, is really going to give you a good foundation and set you up for success going going into that. Because, again, once you learn the technical side of stuff, you can do anything. You can shoot in any type of situation, any amount of lighting, any anything like that. So uh, that would be that would be my biggest thing. Learn the technical side of stuff, and uh, you can you can really develop from there. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I think I would add to that. I think that um, also learning editing too, because I think <laughs> that the best shooters are competent editors. I always say that uh, when I hire freelancers to work for me. Um, before I get to know them, one of the first things I want to know is like, what's their what is their experience editing? Because I feel like if you know how to edit really well, then to your point with the technical stuff, you'll know what you're doing wrong or what you're doing right from a tech side. Mm-hmm. And because uh, if you come home and you're editing and, and you're like, why does that not sound right? Or why does that not look right? Then you have to learn how to figure that out. If you don't edit, how would you really ever know? So I think that uh, good editors also know they not only know the tech stuff, but they also know how, like, they might come back and think that they have a story, but then realize, oh, crap, I really just have a bunch of B-roll. I don't have a story here. But if they know how to edit, they'll understand what they need for a story, you know? And so I feel mm-hmm. like um, the best shooters are uh, guys who, like you said, they understand the tech side, and they understand the technical aspects of being able to um accomplish what they're trying to accomplish and then that can help them be creative like you said um and then if they also know how to edit i think that combination makes for like the best the best way to like get in the outdoor industry yeah absolutely i mean going back to initially uh how i got started i was technically an editor before i was ever a shooter so and there are more (laughs) and dude there are not near as many editors out there as there are shooters shooters are a dime a dozen Mm -hmm. editors are a lot harder to find and i think if you if you really wanted to get your foot in the door if you knew how to edit you'd get your foot in the door yep yep for sure and that that's a whole whole other process of being able to learn how to edit that's a (laughs) that's a much more in-depth in-depth conversation because that is still built off the foundations of how it's shot yeah so that's uh that's a topic for another time maybe (laughs) (laughs) i don't know there might not be enough podcast episodes to cover editing (laughs) i got a whole podcast on that editing with josh um no man i really appreciate you hopping on where can people find you find your work contact you that kind of thing oh instagram is really going to be our best place we are uh we are not the most active on really any social media platform (laughs) but uh, instagram is going to be the the best place to see the majority of our stuff and that'll be at blank video pro blank uh, video check us yep okay yep so you can check us out on there, see uh, see a little bit of our our stuff. Not very much of it, but uh, you can really you can follow the more of our work on what we're doing on uh, the other platforms of the show. So the other shows that uh, we're producing is going to be Predator Pursuit with Jeff Thomason. You can you can see a bunch of our work on there, and then our brand new series that uh, we're working on right now is called Wild Strongholds, and so. Oh, Both cool of those platforms will really have more 
more more of a better representation of some of the things that we sure. do than than our own personal page. Dude, my Instagram is a disaster. Like I have, I put photo, <laughs> I'll put a photo on there like once every three months. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just yeah. like, I don't pay attention to it. It's so funny how I'll make content for other people, but I, I, I never take the time to do it for myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a whole nother a whole nother topic as well the way <laughs> the way things work anymore it's uh changing times things have definitely definitely changed a lot in the past decade and uh yeah where it's going don't don't still exactly know just yet but uh <laughs> you know we'll we'll stick around and find out that's right man well guys thanks so much for listening to the podcast and uh dustin thanks for hopping on with us today um, for more information about Filming with Josh, go to Facebook and type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today. The Filming with Josh Facebook group is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. There you'll find conversation all about video editing and the business that goes with it. You can also look at Filming with Josh on my website, rusticriver.media, under the Filming with Josh tab. See you guys next week. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.